says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me as always is my excellent mate, 60s. It's a season review podcast, mate, but it's not the one we're in charge of. We're deferring to a, a smarter individual than you or I. Yes, mate, it's the podcast that we were looking forward to doing probably in about two weeks' time, mm-hmm. but we do have our final series special preview podcast that we've been doing, so now it's time for... A review. All right, 60s. Well, one of these days we do promise we're going to be able to have Bernie on and we're going to be able to do a, a positive post-match analysis of a week two finals victory en route to a grand final qualifier. Not to be this year, not to be in 2021, unfortunately. However, we are very happy to welcome back Bernie Gurr to do a breakdown of where it went right, where it went wrong and how it all played out for the Parramatta Eagles in their loss against the Penrith Panthers. Bernie, thanks, uh, thanks for coming on to the show once again, mate. Morning, boys. Bernie, in terms of quality, how did you rate Saturday's match? Look, I think it was outstanding. There's general consensus through the rugby league community. It was the best game of the year. And I think particularly given what was at stake, that added to the theatre of the game, you know, given there was a knockout week two semi-final. It was, it was quality of a different type. You know, that's the greatness of our game. We can have a quality game at 8-6, but we can have a quality game at 28-24 as well. This was a quality game at 8-6. It was a ruthless, brutal, physical, intense. All those words was absolutely compelling. And it was not a game of necessarily high skill level or brilliant play, but it had all those other wonderful features of, of, of physicality and intensity that people and genuine and true believers of our game really love to watch. So it was absolutely brilliant to, to watch, albeit it was a Different type of quality, but it's the type of game I, I love to watch. So, yeah, it was very, very impressive, quite frankly, from both teams. I think the... Yeah, uh, you'd almost, I was going to say, you'd almost use the school uh, term old-school footy, wouldn't you, with a, a match like that? Well, it was. It was very similar. And I made a comment to someone during the week that was I was talking to about the game. It reminded me of, of, the, of the playoff games in, in uh, 84, 85, 86. Uh, you know, the games were like 4-2, 6-4. Uh, between Parramatta and Canterbury in that time. It, it, and you guys would remember those games. And it reminded me very much of that brutal competitiveness, just the ruthless intensity to it. Um, you know, Ray Price would have loved to have been out there last mm-hmm. Saturday night. And the uh, NRL produced internal metrics that showed that this game was at or above the intensity of state of origin, which is a huge credit to both the teams that took, play, uh, took part in the contest. Well, I looked at a few stats around the game, and, you know, the, the stats between the two teams were remarkably similar. The possession went 51-49 to the Eagles. The both teams had an 84% completion rate. Uh, line breaks were 2-1 to one to the Eagles. There was only three line breaks, which is indicative of the great defence. All the other factors, play the ball speed, receipts of the ball, uh, kicks, number of tackles, they were all remarkably even. Um, missed tackles, any stat you want to look at, this game was so even. It was probably one of the most even games statistically that I've ever looked at. And I went, given the evenness of the scoreline, I went back to look at the stats to see whether they backed that up, and they absolutely did. The time in possession was 57.7 minutes. That was in contrast to the Manly Roosters game, which was 51.6. So you had 11% more ball in play or time in possession in 
the uh, the Eels Panthers game, and that added to the drama, the theatre, the continuous flow of the game. And yeah, it was just a it was just a phenomenal game of footy. And both teams are to be to be uh, to be complimented for the game. And the players, you know. It was a game where the players came and they were in their boiler suits, not their dinner suits. So it was just a remarkable game to watch. No, fair call, fair call. And on to question two for you. Um, dealing with adversity, overcoming the challenge is a theme that we've, we've spoken with you at length across the last few years in regards to Parramatta going deeper into the finals. And no matter how you slice it, very little went Parramatta's way on Saturday night. Were you impressed with the team's ability to deal with adversity in this contest? Definitely. They they didn't get the rub of the green. You know, we had the Luai situation on Moses. That could have been a penalty in and of itself. We then had in the same play the Penasini being tackled without the ball. That could have been a penalty in and of itself. Uh, the trainer incident just absolutely killed our momentum. And, you know, that, that, that situation there was, it was, you know, people have talked about it all week, but it was, it was brutally simple. The rule says you have to assess the player before advising the referee to stop the game. That did not happen. That did not happen. So, you know, that was a that was another piece of the game where we didn't get the rub of the green. And, you know, it was a it, it was a physical war out there. You know, Paul Owen RCG up against Fisher Harris and Leota, there was great intensity. It wasn't an over, overly technical game because defence dominated, but it was great to watch another Parramatta were terrific and very in in you know, back to your point about dealing with adversity. Yeah, they did and Mitchell Moses was a, a Part of that with his composure and his kicking game, and uh, both look, both teams have to be credited for the way they played under under, under those conditions. But Parramatta definitely didn't get the rub of the green. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of players just then. You you spoke about both front rowers and and Mitch Moses. Which players impressed you the most from the uh, from Parramatta's performance? I thought Junior Paulo was absolutely heroic. His his athleticism, his effort is the number of tackles he made. Uh, he's bouncing up off the ground to get back in defensive positions, all for a huge man. I thought he was absolutely awesome. Very closely followed by Campbell Gillard. Uh, Will Panasini was terrific. Dylan Brown was great. We talked about Dylan in the pregame. I thought Hayes Dunster was good. Guffo. Marada, of course, imposed his physical presence on the game as we expected him to do, and he did. He sidled up close to the wind there a few times, but... but uh, <laughs> He was very much, you know, he's a gun. And I thought Mitchell Moses' kicking game, it, was, it got us a try. And both, both teams' tries came off kicks, which is indicative, again, of the, the defensive intensity of the game. Mm-hmm. And Mitchell Moses' kicking game for field position, he got us out of trouble there a few times. Hermit's defence was great. They're the number one defensive team in the end. They put us under a lot of pressure coming out of trouble, particularly in the first half. And Mitchell got us out of trouble with some beautiful long kicks. So when you put all that together... Um, really impressed with who did not play well. Um, Ray Stone had, a, you know, people have been a little critical of his dummy half play. And yes, if Reed Marnie was there, they probably would have been executed better. But Ray Stone's contribution to the Eels over the last month has been phenomenal. No, I think that is a, a very uh, fair assessment across the board there. A lot of the Eels players standing tall in, in you know, the most intense game we've seen, like you said, in years. So, you know, good uh, assessment there, Bernie. Uh, Bernie yeah, not, just as a, an additional point, neither team in good ball sets, had they just didn't have the finesse to get the ball through the excellent defence of the other team. So, number one, it's a credit to the defence. And 
you, you, the offensive teams, we're just looking for that touch of class or touch of finesse to, to manufacture or manoeuvre a, a gap in the defence, and it just did not eventuate. Now, this might be perhaps the most critical question of our entire little chat today, but looking at Parramatta's exit from finals footy over the past three years, so we, we go back to 2019 where we got absolutely bombed by Melbourne in week two, then 2020 where we had the uh, disrupted game against South Sydney and now obviously this game against Penrith. Uh, how do you assess those three results? Do we put 2021 in the same category or is this time around, is there something different about the loss? No, this to me, it just this this seems um, this is easily our best week two performance in my opinion. The, the 2019 game, we're coming off a high beating the Broncos at Bank West 58 nothing. We went down to Melbourne on a on a dampish, uh, slippery field. They were just way too good for us. The next year against South at Bank West, we got beaten 38-24. And whilst you know, we, we we did have our chances in that game. That was a better performance than, than most people would remember, except the, the diehard Parramatta fans that analysed it very closely. You know, we had the Jank, Janko dropped out because of the drug issue on the morning of the game. Hayes Dunster was having his first game. We had a few other changes during the match. And at one point there, we had a chance where Mitch Moses could have could have either put us in front or, or put us level. I just can't remember which one it was, but that was a critical turning point. That was a, an excellent effort and a step up from the year before. But this year's a step up on that. So this, to me, is easily our best week two performance. And you came out of that game thinking, you know, that was a game where we've had a few naysayers in the media about Parramatta over the last few years of being flat track bullies and maybe they didn't have the edge they needed to compete with the better teams. I think we earned the respect of the rugby league community. I think it demonstrated the spirit in the team and in the club. And it's, you know, it's a tough one to take. And we had some very, very devastated players and, and staff after the game, but there's no doubt to me, it's a bit like when you deposit in the bank, you can withdraw it later on, and that was a huge deposit around the psyche of our team for the future, and I think it's a a good thing to build on, so yeah, it's the best week two performance of the last three years. Gee, I I like that analogy about the deposit that you can draw on later, that's brilliant. Um, Just moving now into a broader season review, and I think that's a perfect segue for it. From a whole team perspective, what do you see as, as the significant development in the team? Well, it's funny. You can look at things quantitatively and look at the, the, the data and statistics, but there's also a qualitative element of any of, of any organisation when you look at it. Now, from a quantitative point of view, we won uh, 50, we had 15 wins, five losses in 2020. We had 15 wins, nine losses in 2021. So we we, we finished third in 2020 and sixth in in um, 2021. On the attacking and defensive side of it, we were um, ninth in attack in 2020, but we improved to seventh. In defence, though, we went from third to fifth. So, you know, we got better in attack, but we got a little worse in defence in 2021. That may have had something to do with the nature of the game and the nature of the contest in 2021. And what I, we, every, what everybody saw as a clear chasm between the top six and the remaining uh, 10 teams in the loop. I did a bit of statistical analysis around a lot of the factors, possession, completions, line breaks, missed tackles, errors, effective tackles, etc. We were remarkably similar where we finished in the pecking order against the other teams from 2020 to 2021. So, you know, for example, we were third in possession in both years. In, in uh, completions, we, we were sixth and then second this year. 
run meters. We were second in 2020 and third in 2021. So I won't bore you with all the statistics, but they're, they're remarkably similar where we finish relative to the other teams and all these um, key indicators between 2020 and 2021. So when you look at Parramatta, where a team, our style is plenty of possession, number one. Number two, good completions, around the 80% mark. Therefore, we have a high number of runs. We have the highest number of runs of any team over the course of the season than any team in the NRL. And we have the highest number of kicks. So when you have that package of, of, of data, that equals pressure. Um, and that's what Parramatta's game is based on. The para style is based on pressure, power game. It's, it's rather a conservative game where we dominate the middle of the field. And so we, in summary, we haven't changed the way we play we're just trying to do it better. Um, so our attacking has not changed. Um, what I see, though, is the cohesion. When I watch our team, particularly in the last month, I think we're getting the benefit of the cohesion factor, which is so important, which is playing time together. And that's increasing. I think uh, we miss Reid Marnie in our spine. We're going to have our spine playing together the best. So I think there's been... Um, it's been a very good year for Parramatta, I think. We had just had that one month where we just sort of, and I don't know, it seemed to uh, coincide with, with moving up there, but every team had that, so that's not an excuse. So having said all that, we, we've had a, a really good year. We've built on the 2020 to have what I would call a similar year in 2021. Um, some of the, the indicators were a little down, like we won more, we won 75% of regular season games in 2020 versus about 62% this year. But having said all that, we had an excellent finish to the year, and particularly in big games, and therefore it feels like we're a better team at the end of this year than we potentially were at the end of last year. To build on what Craig just asked you then, if we if we talk about the review of the 2021 season and you've sort of identified refinement and cohesion as your key takeaways, your key words from what the Eels built on, to uh, apply that to the whole team perspective to 2022, what would you like to see as the next step for the team? I think there's two attention. Retention of our best players because you know there we have a number of the very good players off contract at the end of next year now. We obviously have a bit of time because they're with us next with us next year, but there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of interest in some of our better players: Paulo, Marnie, Madison, Murata, Gutherson, Dylan Brown, Dunster, Capusi, Wilson, and they're all off contract um, at the end of 2022. And teams are moving quicker these days to, to lock in players that fit their system. We need a backup hooker. Joey Lusick leaves disappointing because um, he was I thought he played that role. In a, to, you know, really, really well for us. So the first thing's just to get the retention right, but I'm sure, you know, with Mark O'Neill, um, I'm sure it marks all over that and, and, and we'll keep the players that we want to keep. And I think my gut feel too is that these players, um, and it fits in with the cohesion philosophy, they like playing together. They like playing for Parramatta. I think we're a club now that we're, the players want to stay at number one and number two is we can always get an audience with a player that we that we potentially would want to recruit because we've got a we're a good stable strong club now and outside of the retention I think on defense we've got to really have a target to be a top three or four team I heard Brandon Smith interviewed the other day from Melbourne and he he said they were very disappointed at Melbourne because they ran second by about 10 points to Penrith they place a high value on being the best defensive team 
we need we're good, but we need to be better. We got a little worse this year statistically from a defensive point of view. And there was a bit of movement this year around, you know, our 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 centers and our wingers and our back rowers. We didn't really um, have a great consistency there. If you look back at the number of combinations we played on those edges, it's it'd be quite quite large. Having speaking of the edges, we need to be a bit better on the edges. I think Penasini looked really good on that right side with Mar- and I, with Marada. I think that's something to build on. Um, Wonga looks more comfortable on the left side. Fergo's leaving, so I'm, I'm I'm just surmising that Dunster will go to the right wing and Sebel will come back on the left wing next year. Um, so yeah, I think a bit of work on that, and just particularly against the better teams that tend to get round us a little bit. We need a little bit of work there. Our middles are very good. Um, I think, like most Parramatta fans that analyse the game, we're very comfortable in the middle of the field. Um, they're very physical, and we prove that again on Saturday night. As far as the attack goes, uh, the middles are very good. They lay a great platform for us. They're very strong. It's a it's a formidable platform that our the middle of our field uh, players give to Parramatta. And I think on the edges we need a bit more precision. We just don't have that quite elite level of execution with our formations, our angles, passing. We don't we don't execute those plays like the Melbournes and the Souths do. And at times we tend to pass a little too laterally. But again, these are these are these are refinements that I think um, you know I'm sure Brad and the coaching staff have identified, and they're refinements to our game. And I'm sure they'll be improved on for next year. And I'd like to also see, you know, Mitch, I've mentioned this before, Mitch Mays and Dylan Brown just playing together more. Dylan, the other day, when when they were passing to each other and a few times there, Dylan, um, you know, straightened up off his left foot and and attacked the line. It looked looked very dangerous for us. And he was getting getting halfway through, poking his head through and and getting a quick play the ball. So, yeah, they're they're probably the three things, the retention and just a few refinements on the defence and attacking side. Okay, we, we've, we've talked a couple of times now about Mitch Moses and narrowing the focus to individuals. I just want to explore that a bit more. He suffered that back injury during Origin, missed a few games, and then when he came back, he seemed still somewhat hampered. Uh, but that said, he really finished the year very strongly. Do you think he benefited from his Origin experience this year? There's no doubt about that. Craig, every, I don't think there's any player that doesn't benefit from the origin experience. It's the elite level of the game. You're playing with the elite players. You see how they prepare during the week leading up to origin and pre-game and just how they deal with it. And I think it generates, the fact that you've been selected in that side, it generates a lot of confidence and belief in the individual. Mitchell's game management now is very good. He, he, he's been composed and off the back of that, his kicking's been very good. He needs to continue to work on his on, on his run part, run versus pass balance, but um, I'm sure he'll do that. And he's he, at times he just needs to. He's, he's been very soft. He's been there's been occasions there where you want him to run more, but he's more interested in getting his other players organised. And the other thing with Mitch is his kicking. It's been super important for us, and um, you know it's kept us. It's kept us in the grind of a lot of games with his excellent kicking, both his long kicking and his short kicking. So, yeah, look, it's all upside out of the origin for Mitch, and I think he still feels, and I believe it absolutely, if Mitch is 26, I think his best football still in front of him. Another player that seems like we're always bringing up to talk to you is Will Penasini. So we're going to do a little bit of a twist here. We'll use Penasini as a, a springboard for 
the next question. But it's probably fair to say that the young gun has secured himself a centre position for next season. But in that vein, are there any other players who caught you by surprise in some way this year? Not a lot. We didn't really... We, we had a few fresh faces come in, but n- not a lot. It, it, some of them, you know, as we continually talk about, you, you want incremental improvement from all players. You know, you're not going to suddenly turn, you know, player A into Joey Johns. It's not happening. But what you want to do is player A 6 out of 10 this year, you've got to get into a 7 out of 10 next year. And that's, that's part of the... That's part of the genius of coaches like Wayne Bennett and, and Craig Bellamy and Trent Robinson. They take these role players and they take them from six. If you're a six, they take them to a seven. If they're a seven, they take them to seven and a half or eight. And that's what you're looking for, that incremental improvement. Again, I'm going to go back to Murata. He continues to improve. He's played nearly, he's played nearly every position on the field this year. Um, so, you know, I, I love him on the right edge. I like him as a right edge back rower. And I think he's a great hole runner. I think he continues to improve and he's a... He, to me, would be a priority signing. I hear there's a number of clubs, not unsurprisingly. I think Hayes Dunster's developed. He's played 14 games now. And for your first five or six games, you get ragdolled a bit because the physicality of first grade NRL versus, you know, junior up and even the, even the New South Wales Rugby League Cup, it's just different. He's now accustomed to the physicality. I thought he was terrific on Saturday night in a high-intensity game. And he's now used to that physicality and he's a big, strong kid himself. So I think he's doing well. And I like the look of Sean Russell. I've seen a bit of Sean in the junior rep programs. I know he has basic ability. Um, and I think he's a good athlete, Sean Russell. And I think I think we'll see. But now with Fergo going, I think we'll find uh, we'll find it we'll find that uh, Sean plays a bit more football and he's he's made for the first grade. Um, but the development we need to start seeing next year, we need to keep working internally on that next wave of players coming through our Elite Pathways program. It's difficult with no junior at footy at the moment. But, uh, yeah, that's something that behind the scenes, we need to be working very, very diligently on that on that 15 to 18, 19-year-old Elite Pathways program so we get the next wave of, you know, Penasini, Dunsters and Sean Russells. I like that answer, Bernie. I think Murata was a, a great candidate. And I'm glad that you also shouted out Hayes Dunster because he's a player that I feel really... Sometimes you see guys make that incremental steps, and sometimes you can see him make significant progress during the course of a season. And I feel like Hayes probably almost falls into that latter category where after that softening up period where you said those first five, six games in first grade where everyone's kind of like, wow, this is fast, this is you know intense. You're, trying to, you're caught up in the, the eddies and the currents and trying to just keep yourself afloat. He really started to find his feet towards the back end of the season. And, and the physicality he really embraced, and I noticed that in his ruck work, that he started falling forwards against some of the better defences as well, which is a, a, a big check mark for a young winger. Absolutely. Now, we've just been speaking a little bit about Hayes Dunster, and uh, and you also mentioned Sean Russell and his prospects for next year, but we've got that official farewell that's now happened for Blake Ferguson, and we have Mike Acevo, who we due to his injury we might not see till the back end of the season and um and it's going to be and that's provided he makes a suitable recovery from his injury so in the immediate future are we going to look internally or externally to replace our wingers yeah i'm not sure of the uh, status of Sevo's injury yeah. um i'm not sure if he's going to be back at what stage next year Sevo's going to be going to be returning but I, I would suggest that you know from a salary cap point of view which you've always got to layer the salary cap over the top of your roster decision making 
Um, you know, in a best-case scenario, you'd probably want Seaver on your left wing, Dunster on your right wing. You're still, then you've got Sean Russell as backup. Um, we we may need a little bit more backup there. Um, Wonga Blake can play, of course, if you've got Tom Opacek as a, as a replacement centre. So if, if I... I, I don't think we're going to go out and sign a well-known winger for a lot of money. That because I, and I, again, I don't know. I'm not close to the salary cap, but I wouldn't think there's any need to spend more salary cap dollars on the wing position. And we need to give some young guns a go. And that comes back to the development program. But I'm not that au okay fait with uh, where where Mike Acevedo's injury situation is as as it relates to when he commences next year. I think the uh, the, the best recent, at least Parramatta-based comparison would have been Quinton Gufferson in 2017. He did his ACL against the Tigers about two-thirds through the season. It ended up being a few weeks before where Micah did his uh, relatively. And uh, I think Guffer came back round seven, round six or seven in 2018. Uh, and uh, we know that Guffer was an absolute training freak and would have you know embraced the recovery period and the rehabilita- rehabilitation process uh, at 110 um, percent and even then I suppose Guffo came back in that schedule but it was also you could see he was a little bit hampered on the field too until 2019 where he was back to his best so for Micah I think the maybe weeks 10 to 11 might be a sort of uh, ideal recovery so you'd be going a couple of months without him for the 2022 season it looks like yeah that's going to be a bit of a challenge for the club because they 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 probably, you know, don't want to commit a lot more money to the wing position, and and quite frankly, you've got to look at the market who's out there that you could potentially replace him with. Um, but yeah, that's an issue they're going to have to address. You could potentially play Wonga Blake on the left wing and Tom Opacek at centre. That was that's an option. Um, but yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to address that if 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 that timetable for Micah's return is as you expect. So, based on what we currently know about the roster, and obviously there are some question marks about that wing position now, uh, can we reasonably expect another finals finish next year? And, and if so, can you see us progressing past that week two barrier? Look, I think definitely we should be in the, in, in the playoffs next year. There's no doubt about that. Even my quick perusal of the teams and what they look like doing for next year, um, we should be absolutely a top six team again. And then, you know, we, we spent a lot of the time this year in the top four and we just fell out with that bad month of football. So, you know, we should have clearly have aspirations for top four. Um, and when you look at, you know, it's a competition. So you've got to look at, at your competition. And I, I look to see which teams may potentially improve next year. The Bulldogs should improve next year, but they're coming off, they're, they're coming off a very low base. Uh, I expect them to improve, but they're going to be going from 16th to something. I potentially... Uh, I don't see them being a top six team. Um, and then I look at other teams, and I think some may improve, some may not. Um, so, yeah, look, the Eels, clearly, we have to have top four aspirations for next year. And I think, you know, if the roster, again, it, it, a lot of it's based on health, but if we keep our roster together, there's no other disruptions within the club or the playing group, then, yeah, we should definitely play finals next year. Bernie, the Eels officially end their season with the Ken Thornett medal and that's being presented to the public on YouTube on Friday. Who's your pick to take out that titular top gong? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, over the ebbs and flows of a season, you know, certain players, you know, are looking good for certain periods of time. Like Papa Lee, he had a brilliant, you know, first two-thirds of the season. He, he he went off the boil a little bit at the back end, but that's not unexpected. He was still good. It's just that for the other, the first two thirds, he was very good. 
you know, I thought he had a great year. I thought Reed Marnie had a good year for the time he was on the field, but he's probably missed too many games. And Junior Paulo's had an outstanding year, state of origin. And, you know, Regan Campbell-Gillard was very unlucky to miss those games because he was playing at the same elite level Junior was playing at. So, um, you know, Mitch has had a great year. He started an origin game and he's taken came to and he's had those improvements we look for in every player and he's done that in a difficult position on the field because that's the position that they're your quarterback. They're they're running the team. So Mitch has had a great year. Gutho's been strong again. And of course, um our man Murata, he's had a he's had a great year. He he's been a he's he's been the Mr. Fix it. He could uh, he could work at Bunnings, Murata. He's he's fixed that many positions. I reckon Murata might have the coaches gong stitched up in one of the I think the Ford uh, spot, so I think if I had to make, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Papa Leahy because the expectations were so low, but his his actual results play were so good relative to his expectations. But those six players, they've had they've had phenomenal years. So yeah, I look forward to see who gets it because it's a, it's an extremely prestigious award within the club. Sixties, who you got for the Ken Fournette Medal, mate? It's hard to go past Isaiah. <clears throat> um, and then it comes down to look. I think I think you look at Isaiah is going to feature prominently. He's either going to take out the Ken Thornette or he's going to take out the members award, or he might take out both. Um, coaches award. I reckon it's going to come down to between uh, Murata and Mitch Moses. Myself. That's a fair call. Also important to note, uh, Zaya, the VB hard-earned index player of the year, <laughs> for what it's worth, uh, on NRL 360, they announced that. Um, that's also a reflection of the work he got for every week. I think Ice is probably the favourite for the Ken Fournette medal. Um, I'm going to back Murata to get the uh, Coach's Award for the forwards. Uh, for the backs, oh. you know what? Wonga Blake might be the guy that ends up coming out on top. For the backs. I feel like his uh, back third of the season was tremendous and he figured a lot of stuff out. So I'll go with that trifecta there. You don't think um, that Gutho would get the back? I, I think, like, Gutho is such an easy choice there that uh, I don't, it, it's almost you get overlooked because you're so, you're so con- consistent for it. I could just see Wang and maybe getting the nod just because he figured out a lot in that back third of the season. I think that means a lot for the team moving forwards too. So, yeah, that's how I see it playing out. Although I would not be shocked if Gufferson got it because he'd be a very worthy recipient. All right, let's uh, round things out, Bernie. Let's take a spin around the NRL. There's only four teams left in the race for the NRL Premiership. Uh, who do you see taking out the big trophy among the Storm, the Rabbitohs, the Panthers, and the Seagulls, given that it's obviously Storm v. Panthers and Rabbitohs v. Seagulls this week? Yeah, I think they've all got good credentials. They're all going to be sitting there in their team rooms up on the up in Queensland at the moment. They're all going to be genuinely thinking, hey, we can win this. I think they believe that. The Storm, you know, they're so strong. They're so professional. Um, they dot the I's. They cross the T's. They have an extraordinarily good bench. And the bench is very important at this time of year. The Panthers, well, they have, them and the Storm have the best defence in the league. That's always a great, that's always a great starting point this and not only do the Panthers have great defence, they have great kicking. Uh, Cleary's kicking game is elite. Um, you know, he, him, Reynolds, Moses, they're all great kickers. And it, it means so much in big games, as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of good kicking, particularly in big games where you need to build pressure. So I think they're... they're uh, no one... Two weeks ago, before they played South, they were probably equal favourites in everybody's eyes with Melbourne. That one defeat, and everybody's jumped off. 
I think Melbourne Melbourne haven't been that great the last six weeks. They had one good win against a very poor Manly team. And what when you look at everything in Melbourne, they look really strong. They look nearly unbeatable. But I've got a hunch that Penrith may surprise them. Um, I think, you know, Nathan, Nathan Cleary will be absolutely key in that. So that's going to be a, a terrific matchup. Souths are due. They've lost the last three grand final qualifiers. The club will be devastated if they don't win. I've got a few other motivating factors. Uh, you know, Bennett's potentially looking at playing a grand final if he wins this at Suncorp, which is, of course, his spiritual home. Reynolds is leaving. So Souths, they're trying to break that that hoodoo of the grand final qualifying losses after the last three years, and their defence has improved remarkably well. Manly, it may be a year too early for Manly. They've got the young players, Kepi, Schuster, Olakawatu, Aloye, uh, Saab. They've got a lot of young players in that team. They may be a year away, but if they get hot, um, and Turbo has one of the games that, that only Turbo can do, then they can win that game. But they're... I just don't see Manly as battle-hardened as South, so I think South will win that game. And if I have to make a pick, I'm going to actually tip the upset. I'm going to tip the Panthers to beat the Storm because it's been a wacky old season in rugby league, and I think there's a bit more wackiness to come and potentially an upset where the Storm don't make the grand final. Um, Panthers are a very good team, and I think they're still smarting internally from last year. I Look... It wouldn't surprise me who won either game. But if, if you had to make a pick, I'd pick South this week. To, and I think the Panthers may upset the storm. I say that with no great confidence. And then uh, you go into the next week, and that's uh, you've got two winning teams, two confident teams. I think it's going to be a, a terrific grand final. All right. I think that's a, a nice summation of what it's going to take to get to the big dance. And obviously, once you get there, it, it is very much a coin toss between any of those four teams, but particularly the ones you went for there. So, yeah, good way to sum it up, Bernie. And as always, we, we want to thank you for coming on to the show. We do we do promise that we're going to get you onto a show where the Eels are playing in a grand final qualifier and maybe even more in the near future. It's going to happen. But uh, <laughs> un- until then, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about you know where it all broke down for the Eels and what the positives are in the future and where they need to improve if they're going to take that next step. Your insight's always greatly appreciated. Uh, Sixties, I don't know if you want to say anything before we sign off, but uh, we always love having Bernie on the show, don't we? Oh, look, I think, basically, I think we lock Bernie in for a, a season preview podcast next year. That sounds all right. Uh, that'd be, uh, mark it on your calendars, uh, if you have Bernie in to run his eye over the, the potential draw and uh, who the Eels have uh, ever recruited or who's, you know, sort of making that jump out of the preseason preparations. That'd be fantastic. Well, thanks, boys. I'd love to do that early next year. And, uh, yeah, the footy will roll around very quickly. It's going to be a very interesting off-season, as it always is in rugby league. You know, the club down the bottom, they're trying to get better. They've got dramas. Clubs like uh, us and a number of the, the better clubs, they're looking to, again, get that incremental improvement mm-hmm. to go to that next level. So it's going to be, you know, the off-season is so important. You know, I don't know whether the fans understand just how important that period between, you know, 1 November and then the kickoff in March is just to get everything right. The preparation you do there, the attention to detail, the spirit you build within the club, how you're going to attack the season. It's just absolutely critical the pre-season. And, you know, there's a fundamental there too, which is the health of your players. You want to get your players as healthy and get your squad as healthy as possible. So, you know, I, I, I'm always fascinated with the pre-season work that uh, clubs have done that I've been involved with over the years at Parramatta and, and the Roosters. So, 
it's going to be a great off season and it's going to be a great end of this season first too because you know it's just been a credit to everybody to get all the games on the games you know rugby league continues to deliver the amount of interest in our game is great i think it'll be a great end of this season and i look forward to uh, what's happening in the off season with, with the clubs I'm I'm champing at the bit, Bernie, and I'm all, as you were as you were rattling that off, I'm I'm thinking the same thoughts about the Cumberland throw. I'm thinking everyone's got to be in good shape coming into next year on the Cumberland throw. We're going to really attack next season. So uh, yeah, thanks again for your thoughts here, mate. Okay, boys, good to talk to you. Bye. Thanks, Bernie. You're a legend, mate. We'll catch you later. Bye. And on that note, it's going to be one of the more. Uh, snappy, uh, efficient clinical podcast for us. We usually like to ramble on and, and get distracted and, and go on these wild tangent 60s, but uh, with Bernie steering the, the helm there, we were nice and focused and, as always, hugely appreciative of him providing his insight on the tip sheet. Uh, but before we do sign off, mate, you got anything you want to get off your head or your heart uh, ahead of our hopefully busy schedule for off-season and pre-season content? Well, of course, there is that reminder that we don't have an off-season on the Cumberland throw. The content's going to keep coming people's way. We'll probably have a little bit more to say ourselves about the season proper. Mm -hmm. We'll be continuing with our profile of junior clubs through our Parramatta stories. It's And then before you know it, we're going to be hitting the pre-season training reports or you know, fingers crossed around COVID and COVID restrictions in that regard. But, uh, yeah, it's... People know there isn't a, a, an off-season with the Cumberland throws. So, mate, my my thanks to you for all of the podcasts thus far during this year. It's been a an amazing year where we've basically broken every possible record that the Cumberland throw has from our full annual visits through to the visits for every single month. And now we've just cracked the... Uh, biggest, uh, the the largest number of reads for a single post with the open letter to the Parramatta Reels post, which seems to have resonated with uh, people. It's heading towards seven thousand views now, which is which is just amazing. So um, ultimately, our, our thanks to all of our friends of the throw that help us through the year um, with um, either bit of information they provide for us or just their support and of course all of our followers who without whom we wouldn't be getting those sorts of numbers and um, finally our our sponsors that have been on board the um we've had star partners for Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta mm -hmm. now join us this year and our support from Parramatta Leagues Club in our junior match coverage and also for allowing us to provide our live podcast at Paraleagues during the year. So lots of thank yous. It sounds like it's a wrap-up for the year sort of thank you. It's really just a wrap-up for the 2021 season from our perspective. And likewise, you should take a, a small moment to give yourself a pat on the back, mate. You've been a Herculean throughout this entire process. You're always getting content out every week. And I say that you're, you're now going to go into the, the real – crazy part of the season for you where it's pre-season so you know you've, you've been working your backside off and it just gets harder from here on out so it has been <laughs> it has been an absolute blast to be in this position with you to you know just shoot the shit and talk footy a couple of times a week and have a, a hugely appreciative group of people listening because this whole thing it, you know it is what it is because of the fans of the throw isn't it we've got it is and and also we have 
a, a great team of people that work on the Cumberland throw. Um, starting starting off, of course, with with Mitch and uh, his his grades and the and the and the Twitter. Um, Chris is a bit more behind the scenes with uh, taking care of uh, business aspects of of the Cumberland Throw, um, and and of course we've got such a, a, a great team of contributors uh, that that write for us and um, uh, everything from uh, talking goal. Shelly, Colmack, yeah, and and we do have our 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 feature writers that uh, join us from time to time. I'm I'm looking to a, a big feature presentation from uh, Clint during this off season coming up, so we can stand by for that. So it's it's just been an amazing season, and and um, and also um, I'd also like to thank. Chris Warren from SEN, he's mm-hmm. invited me onto his program numerous times during the uh, 2021 season, and I really appreciate that because he's, he's given uh, a little bit more exposure of the for the Cumberland throw, and uh, and and as I said, it's been uh, it's been a, a great experience to be on radio and and be part of his program. And, uh, you know, just reflecting back on the year, mate, look at us, uh, us little battlers, you know, the reserve graders of NRL media where uh, borderline Ron Massey Cup in terms of the big scheme of things, but got to have a feature-length chat with Von Sampson. You know, we got to – you get you featured on Chris Warren multiple times, have Chris Warren come onto our show. You know, Bernie Gare is a regular feature for us. You know, it, it is so cool to, to be where we are at the Cumberland Fro, And once again, that's a reflection of our fans – of the hard work that in particular you've put in and, you know, we're just going to keep on keeping on. Look, there are quite a few people that I do want to thank who have been guests on the podcast this year, obviously starting off with Joey Grimer for just the great insights that he's provided for the Parramatta Pathways and answering readers and listeners' questions with his his mailbag there. That was a, a fantastic part of our podcast earlier this season so many guests that we've had on and I, my, any apologies for anyone that uh, I might miss out just off the top of my head right now but we had the ex uh, greats for well the old greats for Parramatta um, Steve Ella, Brett Kenny, David Lydiard, Neville Glover who joined us in our podcast live from Parramatta Leagues Club Mary Kay, who joined us as well during those Parramatta Leagues Club podcasts. She was brilliant for that. Um, we had our, our guests through the season. Roasty came on. We had Sean Diveny from the band Short Stack, Adam Hawes. Uh, just so many people. All the all of the, the club secretaries and presidents from the uh, junior clubs, Matt Brady from the Leagues Club. Of course, we kicked it off in the last off-season with Mark O'Neill and his chat with us. We're expecting that to, to be able to have another chat with Mark in the very near future. And, and that, of course, was a his, his chat with us last year was, uh, was a highly popular chat. We, it was, uh, had thousands of listens on that one. So, um, again, thank you to Mark and to the club for that. So, um, and, of course, as you mentioned, that uh, big thank you to our favourite person in rugby league, Yvonne Sampson, because that was a- an absolute pleasure when we chatted with her, as you mentioned. And I think especially in, in the light of today's 
podcasts, in our final series podcasts, Bernie Gurr, I don't think we could thank uh, any contributor as much as we have uh, Bernie because he's always been available, even at a moment's notice, Bernie's been available to have a chat with the Cumberland Throw and his insights I know have been welcomed by all of our listeners, uh, the great respected man of the game and uh, yeah, special thanks to Bernie because uh, there's been uh, innumerable podcasts that we've had that have featured uh, Bernie and uh, yeah, it's greatly appreciated. Yeah, a, a lot of people to thank there, mate, and I, hopefully I haven't uh, missed anyone out, but it's not like this is the final podcast for the year that will continue and uh, uh, stick with us because we, we've got plenty that we want to cover in the off-season and pre-season. And I think that about sums it up, mate. It's worth mentioning this is the 52nd episode of just the 2021 catalogue for the tip sheet. It has been a mammoth journey and the fact that we've been able to call upon such amazing guests as you've gone on and sort of gone bang, bang, bang to list out. I think you haven't missed out on too many, if any. Um, that's been a huge part of what's made the tip sheet so great this year as well as our listeners. So thanks to uh, you know all and, and sundry for being part of this journey in 2021 from our guests to our listeners to yourself 60s. It's been so fun to do this with you. And like we said before, we're not closing the books on the 2021 season yet. We're still going to do some deep dives into the good and the bad for the Parramatta Eels on their journey this year. And beyond that, like you said, there is no off-season for the TCT. So we're going to be getting right into that off-season, pre-season content without a, a nary a down week, let alone a down day. So look forward to that. As always, we thank you sincerely for stopping by and listening. It means a lot to us to have you know the best fans in NRL fandom in, in Australian sports. Them, you know, we're, we're the most passionate mob, and sometimes that bleeds out a little bit too much. But uh, the the flip side is that you guys, you girls, you are the best. You know, you, you're the most passionate. You care the most. You know, you're you're the most invested, and that means a lot to us. Sixes, I don't know if you've got anything else you want to say before we sign off, but if not, uh, thank you all for for coming by, mate. Yeah. I- I do want to say just a, a, a one more thing, which is that all of the people that joined us this season, it was literally we asked the question, "Would you like to be on the? Would, could you be on the show? Would you please be on the show?" And it was just an immediate yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm honoured, um, and even and even though um, it's it's something that's a, a it's a passion project for us doing what we do, and I think that's. Uh, what we got to see is that rugby league is a passion for so many other people as well, and that's that's really been my massive, my, my biggest take from the season. Amen, mate. So thanks for stopping by and listening, guys, and look forward to us, you know, powering through this off season because there is a lot to be excited for in twenty twenty two. Go the Eels.